are you? Can you hear me? Yes, sorry, I was I was oh. muted. Oh, yeah, the, don't worry. Uh, since you opened the room, you're the moderator now. Can you um, make me moderator too so I can handle like bringing people up on the stage? Perfect. Yes. You did. You knew already how to do that. That's perfect. Thank you. Well, it, it makes it pretty easy. There's a little make moderator under your name. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, well, <laughs> you know. Um, well, welcome. And um, let me share the link that you sent me. And okay. let's see if it works. There we go. So will I be able to, to move through the slides in a way that everyone sees? Uh, no. So. Um, it's not a screen share type okay. of sharing, so it's really helpful if you mention when you switch to the next slide or even mention a slide, you know, what slide number. Usually when you scroll through, um, you the audience will see like slide numbers on the screen, so. Okay. And yeah, I'll, uh, we'll start on top of the hour, I'll give a short introduction. Hi, Victoria, meet Victoria. Good morning, Katarina. Good morning, Clint. Hi. So happy to be here and hear what happens today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to, to share a little bit about my work. Like Victoria's one of favorite animals is spiders, right? Yes, I have, I do have a long, standing relationship with black widows as well i'm i'm really happy about this talk, about this talk. <laughs> and i'm really happy that i don't have work until later this afternoon so i can yeah. be here and pray so do you live somewhere with black widows okay well i did okay yes no i mean we have them here too i'm in oregon now but when i lived in southern california then we had them all over the place Okay. Yeah, my my spiders all came from Medford. Um, that's my hometown. Oh, close, and so close. They aren't they aren't in Wisconsin where I did my PhD, so I would go at the beginning of summer and ship them back. <laughs> that's really nice. So they had a little vacation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was, it was more like a retirement home, I guess, because I never sent them back. <laughs> wow, it's such a different climate for them too. Yeah, I mean, they, they were just in the lab. Um, and I think that's part of why they're not here is that there's too deep of a freeze over the winter. So mm -hmm. I, I don't think they would survive winter even if I tried to put them back outside. Right. No, they, they wouldn't. And, and that's, I became so interested in them because we had so many around our home and I was able to observe them mm -hmm. and see and learn about their web and and their behavior really see about their behavior because you know when you see something on a daily basis you know you, what can you can observe some observe something without disturbing it over time then you can really learn about the ways of the beast <laughs> so yeah. they're so interesting and sort of friends yeah, I'm glad you you find them enjoyable too. Hopefully, you you also notice that they're not as scary as people tend to think. 
once you've you've seen them for a well, while? Well, I think anything's like that. If if we can back up and just and bring curiosity and and put the fear away, I'm not afraid of them mm. at all. But I mean, I, I respect them. I think there's a difference, and and that would be great for people to get to a point, a place of, um, you know, recognize that you can have respect for, you know, if something's dangerous, um, but you don't have to carry fear into that. And I always told my kids and my students, because I teach outdoor ed, don't put mm. your hands somewhere that your eyes can't go first. So, um, you know, the black widow doesn't want to really meet up with us either. Yeah, that's that's a good lesson to learn. Is and that was actually one of the first things I was taught. You know, when when my parents would take me outside, is you you look where you put your hands, especially if we're going to be like turning over rocks and looking for bugs. Exactly, kind of like riding a bike. <laughs> yep. Make sure your eyes go there first. Yeah. So yeah. If, you, if it's a stick, you know, then okay, do that, but be respectful that you're not disturbing someone's home. But really, their webs are so distinctive. So mm -hmm. I think that that's again with curiosity. If if we can teach, if we can teach our young, anyone or even anybody that we come in contact with, to lose that that reactive that reaction strategy of screaming and running, and instead be curious and notice, then you can see that's that's exciting to see a web that's distinctive, and then think. Maybe this is a black widow web. I can see it's not a, you know, a wolf spider web or sun spider mm -hmm. web, or, you know? And then when you know a little bit, it's even more interesting. Yeah. And their webs are distinctive. So I think that makes it easier to become interested in them as well. Yeah, what an interesting pre-discussion. Thank you. <laughs> um, that's um yeah i thought your paper was really cool and um novel to uh yeah to look at this in spider so that's really interesting and we'll talk about that in a minute and we usually start by i'll introduce you shortly and then victoria usually ask a few interview questions which probably <laughs> will be really interesting um uh to talk about if that's okay with you um yeah Clint, yep, and then yeah yep, i feel like i'm presentation yeah this is my first time here so i'm up for however you want to do things <laughs> cool thank you and thanks for making the account and doing this i know it's kind of a hassle sometimes to you know make a new account or giving no, a talk so we appreciate it it was actually pretty easy. Um, signing up for Clubhouse wasn't wasn't bad. I will admit, I was a little busier with work than I had anticipated. So like my, it's more of. I'm hoping it'll be more of a discussion than a talk because it's not quite rehearsed as much as I would want to talk to be. Um, so once everyone's here, you know I'll. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it usually tends to be a really heavy part on the discussion because that's kind of mm -hmm. the beauty of this that everyone it's a public room and theory everyone that has an account can come and mm -hmm. you know discuss and ask questions i think it's kind of a interactive podcast recording type of thing so yeah so that's good actually that it stays kind of informal and 
Um, yeah, and I think we can start. It's two o'clock here in New York. Um, so welcome everyone to Science Society. And I know people will continue coming in, uh, but we will start um, and um, go from there. So a special welcome, of course, to you, Clint. And um, I, um, it's so Clinton Segi, he is at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, at the College of Letters and Science, uh, sci and uh, he's in the biological sciences. And he actually won an award, um, a research grant in form of a research grant for animal behavior from the Animal Behavior Society for your project with your colleague. And the title was Analyzing the Causes on Individual Variation in Web Architecture in uh, the spiders. I think the same ones uh, we are discussing today. Um, so uh, yeah, it was quite an achievement. So congratulations and congratulations for this really interesting paper we will discuss today. And as I said, Victoria usually starts um, off the room with a few interview questions. So I hand over the mic to you, Victoria. Thank you. Sorry, <laughs> I was eating a walnut. <laughs> um, okay, <clears throat> forgive me. And there's the cat, <laughs> sorry again. Okay, so thank you. So Clint, my question to you is to give us a bit of background information and learn how you became connected with science. So if you can think back in your life, if, if that was during childhood or, or you know, during schooling or from a relative, what was it that, that ignited that spark that, you know, that let you know that this was something you wanted to be involved with? Yeah, so um, I think, I mean, it goes back like as early as I can remember. When I was a kid, my favorite things to watch were like, nature shows um and i was lucky enough to live kind of rurally so i'd spend pretty much all day outside um like looking for bugs catching lizards um so like the interest in sort of biological things was from early childhood um and I never really lost it. When I started school, I, I was a physics major and I, I switched halfway through um, to biology. And then since then I've been basically a biologist. Um, and I was all, always mostly interested in animal behavior. Um, and I guess I kind of bounced around a little bit before landing on the lab where I did my PhD. Um, but kind of getting back to our, our little pre-discussion, you know, I, I've always enjoyed just sort of observing what animals do, watching their behavior, seeing the things you can learn about them um, from how they behave. Um, that sort of is how I ended up doing my PhD on, on spider behavior. So you naturally, you, you, were, you were able, you had that time and the ability um, to Growing up in Medford, you were a, you had you had nature at, that you had access to is what I'm trying to say, and yep. yeah, and 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 then watching watching documentaries and and really there is there is something we can connect with the natural world really wherever we are even if it's ants, 
it's it's I find with regimentation of school sometimes that that we may forget that that it's possible to you know that we have wildlife in our own experience and so you were observing that which was which was right in front of you and and getting beyond just naming it and then moving on to the next organism so what do you think it was about you that that gave you that ability to to watch and be observant and 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 make that your life's work or were your life as <laughs> up until this point as we know it yeah so i guess this is a good point to admit that i'm kind of no longer biologist um i i finished my phd in may and now I still work as a, as a scientist, as a researcher, but I've, I'm doing healthcare research now. So now my research subjects are, are humans. Um, but I, I guess it's, I mean, really, it's mostly just curiosity. Like, I, I don't know that anything in particular happened other than just, you know, having a natural interest in like living things that made me able to maybe be able to observe them and, and, you know, put in the work to do a PhD on animal behavior. Um, and I do have a little bit more in like the beginning of my presentation about my motivations for asking the specific questions I did um, about black widow behavior. And I guess I can just go over it a little bit now, but it's basically like, I really want to know what's happening inside the minds of animals. Um, you know, you, you can think about, how differently animals experience the world because of their ecology, their sensory biology, like how they gather information about the world through their senses. Um, and I'm just really interested in, in sort of knowing as much as we can about how that leads to sort of inner experiences and the animals having, um, you know, the ability to make decisions or even have thoughts um, and sort of trying to, to uncover that using behavior. Right. And it, and it sounds like you are not separating because animals are animals, whether they're humans or black widows. And, and again, I'm forgive me, but I will lean upon criticizing regimentation of school because it, mm -hmm. I do notice that it makes people separate things into disciplines and ideas into disciplines, but here you are connecting the two. So, um, do I, do you plan to, is this research that you're sharing that we're discussing today, this will be related or where, what, can you talk a little bit more about how you got from that point to, to where you are today and the work that you're doing? Yeah, I get, I mean, that part is probably not quite so interesting. Um, like the work I'm doing today is more like a practical decision that I wanted a little more ability to choose where I lived and not have to be sort of nomadic doing a postdoc or multiple postdocs and then looking for a job um, if I stayed on the academic route. So I sort of went, you know, I looked for a job that I could use my skills as a researcher for. Um, and it's, it's a, I work for sort of a large health system in the Midwest. So I didn't have to move to do that, um, which was nice. I've got a family now, wife and, and a, and a son. So that's really the, the motivation behind doing what I do now. And I really like what I do now. Um, but it's, it's not biology at all. Um, and sorry, I forget if there was a second part of, of your question. 
No, that's that's your choice. I do want to add that while um, when you're when we're going into the Black Widow discussion, <laughs> which we're mm. excited about, that you may use your profile pic, your circle right there, if you do a long hold on it. If there were any photos that you wanted to share with us that may not be in your presentation, then you can slip those in there too. Okay, or, I don't. You can, you can ask yeah, that stuff too. I don't have any queued up, um, but I, Katarina shared the link to the little presentation I put together. Um, and it has, you know, there's only one photo, but it's the best photo I've ever taken of a Black Widow. So if you want to see a Black Widow, like open the presentation and look at that that picture. I use it on a lot of slides because I haven't managed to take even close to as good of a picture as that, um, just because I'm not a photographer. Um, but that's where the visuals are, is in that that Google Slides. All right, thank you. I'm going in. <laughs> And I'd like to pass the mic to you, Clint, at this point. And and you can you said you you know you'd prefer more of a discussion, so we can help facilitate that with guests who would like to come up and ask you questions, or people may also put questions in the room chat. And also, I want to welcome Dr. Shaw. Good morning, Dr. Shaw. Please meet Clint. Yeah, welcoming to Clint and hello, Victoria, Katerina, and happy Monday to you and everyone. Hi. Good morning. Um, well, I guess good afternoon from where I'm at. But um, yeah, thank you all for, for having me. I'm excited to talk a little bit about some of my work. Um, I know Katerina mentioned that at least some of you had read my most recent paper, which is on how Black Widows remember their prey and sort of alter their, their behavior. Um, in response to differences in, in memory of prey. Um, as Victoria mentioned, I'm perfectly happy to have this be more of a discussion. I do have a little presentation to put together. And the first half is sort of background information because I'm guessing a lot of you are not spider biologists. Um, so I kind of wanted to indulge myself and, and just talk about spiders before I get into the actual paper. Um, I noticed that sort of the title of, of this was Black Widows Have Spatial Memory. And that kind of ties into to some of my other work, um, also on Black Widows. So if at any point you want to stop me and dig a little deeper into sort of the background information that I'll give before talking about this current paper, feel free. Um, and then, so the first half again is basically a little bit of background. Um, so if you want to follow along, I'll, I'll let you know when I'm, I'm changing slides. Um, Sounds great. And I've just I've just changed my pick to that beautiful photo that you took. I congratulate you on your on your photo photography skills. Thanks. Yeah, that the uh, the grant that Katerina mentioned I, I was awarded mostly went to photography um, material like photography equipment um, because we were looking at web architecture so we needed to be able to take high quality photos of of webs um i never properly learned how to use it but i managed to make it work for for that study and got some you know at least one decent picture of the black widow out of it um so yeah so for those of you following along um you know i was invited to talk a little bit about my paper and i've just got the header here on the first slide and going on to the second slide is that photo of the black widow um, as I mentioned, you know, I will talk in the second half of this presentation about 
that paper and those results specifically. But first, I wanted to just give a little bit of background info, a little bit of biology and about the web architecture and what we know about sort of Black Widow cognition before I get into the specifics of this one paper. So some of the basics of Black Widow biology is that they're spiders that build cobwebs. Um, and what this means is that in general, they build 3D webs um, that sort of occupy whatever space is available to them. Um, and I'll talk in on the next slide a little bit about sort of the actual more consistent features of their web. One of the things that makes black widows and sort of web building spiders in general really nice to study um, is that they rarely leave their web. The female black widows that I use basically once they've built a web as a juvenile, um, never leave it. Um, they'll make changes to it. They'll they'll reconstruct it as 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 it takes damage, but they they really for the most part don't leave the web or don't move. Um, male black widows do leave the web um, when they mature, but only to go look for a mate. Until then, again, they're they're basically living their life on the web. And sorry, I forgot to mention. Now I'm on slide three, um, and then this part is a little bit important for. The paper I'll talk about at the end, but black widows capture diverse prey. And what I mean by that is they capture things that are both terrestrial that they ensnare while it's walking around um, on the substrate below their web. And they also capture things that are flying and get entangled in the sort of upper portion of their web. And then these prey items vary in size from really small, like ants, um, to pretty large, like large bumblebees, um, large beetles, um, and wasps and bees. So then a little bit more about black widow webs. And here I have a picture from, it, this is actually one of the webs from that, moving on to the next slide, sorry. This is one of the webs from one of my previous papers where we looked at whether or not we could make black widows change their web architecture by giving them differences in their environment, essentially. Um, and here, this web is not very typical of what you would see if you, if you found a black widow web in the wild. We force them to build webs in cardboard frames so we can basically change where, sort of the size that they have to build a web in. Um, and it actually makes it really nice that they sort of make the top part of the web flat to match the, the shape of the box of these cardboard frames. We do it this way. So this picture of a web has two, two things highlighted in yellow. Um, and those are sort of the two main components of the black widow web. The first one that's, that's outlined with the yellow rectangle is what we call the web sheet. And that's the main structural and defensive component of the web. And it's made up of a tangle of silk lines and it supports the web, keeps it off, anchors it to the substrate. And also this tangle of, of silk kind of affords the, the widow some protection from potential predators. The second component are these vertical lines. They're probably a little bit hard to see, um, but I have three of them sort of highlighted with these yellow arrows. Um, and these are what we call gum-footed lines. And just like their name suggests, um, they have really sticky glue-like silk at the end of each of them. And that sticky silk anchors them to the substrate and also sticks to any potential prey that walks around beneath the web. So these are the main prey capture component of the web. And in most webs, there's you know dozens or even hundreds of these that come down from the sheet and are anchored to the substrate. And in most prey capture events, what happens is prey walk around, they 
hit one of the little bits of, of sticky silk at the bottom of a gum footed line. Um, and it sticks to them and detaches from the substrate. And then these lines are under kind of a lot of tension. Um, so it'll actually lift the prey up a little bit for larger prey. It won't actually lift them off the substrate, but for, for small things, I've actually seen like little crickets and stuff kind of get picked up into the air. Um, and then the, the prey is kind of attached to that line and the black widow is able to come down and secure the prey and then take it back and eat it. And the last component, um, that's not really much of a web component, but is sort of where they live on the left side of this image. There's a triangle of cardboard. That's a retreat we give them. And the, the widows sort of set up their, their home, their retreat inside of there in the wild. They, they usually have like a crevice or a hole or something that they would make a retreat, but it's, it's where they go. Um, when they're not out on the web, either either building or waiting for prey or, or capturing prey. And the three bullet points that I have on this slide aren't very important for the actual paper I'll talk about at the end, but I just like to point them out that spider webs and the web architecture is the result of behavior. Um, so differences in how a spider makes decisions about building its web result in differences in web architecture. And then a really cool thing about spider webs is that they're a semi-permanent record of behavior. Um, so this makes it easy for us to study the behavior that resulted in the web um, because we don't necessarily have to capture it live. We can come back and look at the web later on after it's already been built. So that's sort of an overview of the Black Widow webs. And now moving on to slide five, um, I wanna talk a little bit about spider cognition and focusing on, on web building spiders. As I mentioned, their environment is almost entirely their web. They hardly leave it, um, and it sort of comprises pretty much their entire environment. Um, Web-building spiders, for the most part, also have very poor vision, and a lot of the information they get about their environment comes from picking up vibrations that are transmitted through their web. Um, so what happens, like, in the most obvious case is, is a web spider will have a piece of a prey, a bug, something that they want to eat, impact their web, and they'll feel those vibrations transmitted and they pick them up um, through organs that are on their legs. And they can use those vibrations to sort of locate and track down their prey. But they also use vibrations for communication. So male spiders will come and they'll, they'll use their legs to vibrate um, female webs in sort of species-specific mating I guess you would call them calls. Um, and they can also sort of, if if like a conspecific um, or even a, some other spiders on the web that they don't want there, they can use vibrations to sort of signal that the web is occupied and they don't want visitors. Um, <clears throat> and then this last bullet point on this slide is sort of the the overarching theme that connected all of my PhD chapters and is what sort of motivated um, the questions behind the paper that I'll talk about um, in this presentation. Um, but thinking about whether web spiders have internal representation, so like do they store information in their mind about their environment? And the answer that we already knew for some spiders is yes. Um, so they can remember things like the location that they captured prey on the web, where different features of, of the web are located. So you can like give us, you can sort of trick spiders into thinking their retreat is in one spot when it's in another. 
Um, and then certain web building spiders also can remember like the relative number of prey. So they can tell the difference between having caught two prey and one prey. Um, and they can have preferences for more prey versus larger or smaller prey. Um, and then for the purposes of the paper that I'm going to talk about, um, we can sort of make black widows change their web architecture to sort of suit our needs as researchers. Um, and basically the way we do this is we give them boxes to build their web in that are different shapes, um, different sizes, or that we sort of have cordoned off into, into certain areas where they can build webs and cannot. And then for most web spiders, um, the contents of their mind, so whether or not they have memories of certain things or features of things, is revealed through searching behavior. And I'll talk a little bit more about searching behavior when I talk about um, my paper. Um, so for thinking about black widow cognition and doing studies on, on black widow cognition, the big question was, do black widows form internal representations? These have been studied in other web building spiders, but not in black widows. Um, and then sort of the, the key difference between black widows and the spiders that this has been looked at before is black widows build cobwebs, which have a 3D structure, which might make them a little more complex um, and might change the sort of information that a black widow needs to store in its memory about its environment. Previous studies had mostly been done on orb weaving spiders, which build flat, circular, two-dimensional webs. Um, so I was interested in, in thinking about how the information that a black widow stores in its mind might be different from other spiders, given the difference in its biology and its ecology. Um, so I'll give you a spoiler. Some of my other papers, we've already answered that black widows do have at least some forms of internal representations. Um, so then I want to know kind of what form do they take? Um, and then what specific information are stored in Black Widow memories. And these are the sort of overarching questions that led me to, to starting the work on this paper. Um, and the big questions for this were, do Black Widows form memories of captured prey? And then if they do, do they form memories of specific prey features? Um, and part of what motivated this is knowing about Black Widow biology, that they capture these diverse prey items. Um, so they're capturing different prey, and they're also probably capturing prey in different parts of the web. So terrestrial prey that gets ensnared by the sticky silk at the end of a gum-footed line. And then um, flying prey that gets entangled in the sheet. Um, and even though it's not sort of the evolutionary like intended prey capture location, they are still having these prey capture events where they're capturing prey in the sheet. Um, so I want to know, do black widows, first of all, remember where they captured prey? Like, is it do they remember whether they captured it in the gum-footed line or in the sheet? Um, and then do they remember the relative size of the prey? Um, so to do this, set up an experiment where we forced black widows to build webs in um, basically big plastic boxes. They looked a little bit different than the image I have. Sorry, in case you need to catch up, I'm on slide nine now. Um, they have a little bit different layout than 
the image on this slide. Um, this is just another picture of, of when I made spiders build webs in cardboard frames. Here I had them build webs in sort of half of a rectangular box. And half was open so that we could sort of reach um, around the edge of the sheet and have access to the gum-footed lines so we could offer spiders crickets either in gum-footed lines or in sheets so you can control um, exactly where the black widows um, captured the prey. So the way it worked is we would let the spiders build a, a web for a week. Uh, at the end of a week, the spiders had constructed basically full webs. Um, and then we also knew that they were hungry enough to be motivated to capture prey after a week of not eating. So then we would um, hold a cricket in the end of a forceps and vibrate it, like trying to simulate a live piece of prey, either vibrating it at the end of a gum-footed line um, or vibrating it in the sheet. Um, and then allowing the, the spiders to go through a normal prey capture sequence. Um, and what that looks like is the spiders would feel the vibrations from the cricket. They would come out of their retreat um, and they, they sort of use their legs to like pull on, on web threads to put tension on them. And that lets them figure out where vibrations are coming from. So they'd orient themselves toward the vibrations and then go and, and approach the cricket. Um, and then they they used prey capture silk, which is kind of like real sticky silk that they flick out of their, their spinnerets using their back legs. And it comes out like globs of glue and sort of coats the crickets. They would flick that on the crickets. Um, and then once the crickets are sort of coated in that and subdued to the point that they couldn't be dangerous, then the black widow would bite the cricket to paralyze it. Um, and the last step is sort of cutting the, the cricket out of the web using their mouth and then beginning to carry it back to the retreat. At the point where those spiders started to carry the cricket back to the retreat, we would grab the cricket with forceps um, and cut any silk that is anchoring the cricket to the spider with scissors and steal the prey. Um, so there we had given the spiders the, the whole experience of capturing prey either on the gum-footed line or in the sheet, allowed them, you know, the time it took to handle the prey and get it wrapped up and begin walking back to the treat, and then we stole the prey. And we know from past experiences that when you steal prey from a web-building spider, um, they search around, they have a memory of having the prey, and they'll search around their web looking for the piece of prey that you stole. And searching behavior in these spiders is looks like kind of, it looks pretty random, but but they sort of walk around their web pulling on threads and changing directions often and, and sort of waving their legs around to feel for for any prey or any threads that they can pull. So it's pretty easy to to tell searching behavior from other behaviors. And so we would just watch the spiders for an hour after stealing the prey and record um, sort of whether or not they searched and then how much searching the spiders did. Um, and then within looking at searching behavior, uh, we looked at first the likelihood that they searched. So just yes, no, did the spider search or not? Um, how many individual bouts of searching did a spider, did a spider do? Because they would search for a while, um, stop searching, and then go back to it. And then did they search on the floor? So did they descend from their sheet to, down the gum-footed line um, to the floor of the enclosure and search there? 
And differences in, in searching on the floor or just walking around on the sheet where they would normally be um, was sort of our assay for could they remember where they captured a piece of prey. And then just yes or no, did they search was the assay for whether they remembered the prey at all. Um, because this is the first time we've looked at this searching behavior and memories of prey in black widows. So we did all that. Um, and the short version is they definitely remember that they captured prey. Um, so there were pretty much every spider that we stole prey from did not search. And I'm on slide 10. Um, and the right two bars on this slide, on the, the figure on this slide, are the percent spiders that searched in the spiders that experienced prey being stolen. Um, and then the left three bars are our control spiders. So these are spiders that we did not steal prey from. We can we included them um, to basically control for the effect of the disturbance we're causing um, and make sure that spiders are searching because they remember having prey stolen and not just because we're disturbing them and they're searching for some other reason. Um, so these labels, full feed, make whole, and champ theft, those are the controls. Um, basically, the full feed one, we gave the spider cricket and left it alone until it was done eating. And that was anywhere from like two to six hours later. And we just watched if they searched at all um, during that time. The make a hole, we didn't give the spider a cricket, but we cut a hole in its web to sort of simulate what happens when they cut the cricket that they've captured out of the web before they bring it back to the retreat. And then for the sham theft spiders, um, for those, we we did everything the same as, as the treatment spiders, but we gave the cricket back immediately after stealing it. So they, they had the disturbance of having the cricket pulled away from them, uh, but then we gave it back. And even those spiders um, almost never searched. And then when they did search, it was, it was not sustained as long as spiders that we stole prey from. So the first question, do black widows have memories of their prey? The answer is yes. They're far more likely to search when prey has been stolen. And then getting into whether or not the black widows remember features of their prey. Um, when we looked at the number of search bouts, and this was sort of our proxy for search effort, because we considered that it would, it's a better indicator of a spider deciding to search to see them make a separate decision to continue searching um, than it is to just record sort of the overall length of searching. Because, you know, one, one 40 minute um bout of searching we can't tell where that spider is actively deciding to continue searching for 40 minutes because it it remembers that it it lost its prey or if it just is continuing searching because that's what it had been doing one second ago um but if a spider at minute 40 is deciding to engage in its third or fourth or, or however many bout of searching that indicates to us that it still has a memory of the prey um, and it's actively deciding to continue searching for it so there we again found that spiders, um, and this is on slide 11, spiders in this left panel where, where I have a, a bar graph, spiders in the treatments searched in more bouts than spiders that were in our control groups. Um, so among the spiders that did search in the control groups, they didn't search as many bouts as the spiders that had experienced prey theft. Um, so again, more evidence that Spiders do have memory of the stolen prey. Um, but as far as looking at whether or not black widows differed in their search effort based on where they captured the prey or the relative size of the prey, 
there was no difference. Um, so site of prey capture, the relative size of prey, and then an interaction between where they captured the prey and how large it was, none of those were significant when looking at just the overall number of search bats. Now, the interesting part is that when we looked at um, whether or not spiders searched on the floor, so these again are going down to the floor of the enclosure and searching, and they're not just localizing their search to the sheet where they would normally be walking around. Um, we found that spiders were more likely to search on the floor at all when they had larger prey stolen. Um, and then this, so this is on slide 12 and looking at this bar graph, um, you know, basically spiders in the controls almost never went to the floor. Um, and then spiders that had prey stolen went and searched on the floor about 50% of the time, uh, but much more likely than, than spiders that did not have prey stolen. And then the last thing we looked at was search effort on the floor. And here again, we looked at the number of times the spider went to the floor, because this indicates to us that they're making a new decision every time they descend to the bottom of their enclosure um, to look for the cricket, um, rather than just looking at the, you know, whether or not they went to the floor or the, num the amount of time they spent, because um, one bout on the floor could be you know, any number of seconds or minutes. Um, so here on slide 13, again, on the left, I have a bar graph that shows the average number of times to floor. Um, and what we see is that spiders that experienced prey capture in the gum-footed line um, were the most likely to search on the floor, but only when they captured large prey. Um, so I guess I, I also need to explain these scatter plots on the right. Um, the far right scatter plot shows the interaction between the cricket, the, the sort of relative mass of the cricket, and um, in yellow, that yellow line is, is whether or not is what is the spiders that captured prey in the sheet and then the the black line is prey spiders that captured prey on the gum footed lines um and so what you can see is that spiders that captured prey in the sheet were sort of equally likely or went to the floor the same number of times like about one on average um regardless of how large the cricket they captured was and spiders that captured prey in the gum-footed lines um, had a positive relationship between the relative size of their prey and the number of times they went to the floor. So again, relative prey size is important for this. Um, and spiders do appear to remember where they captured their prey. So they'll search more times on the floor, but that memory is only evident when they're looking for larger prey. So for whatever reason, they, they don't care to invest more time looking on the floor of the enclosure um, for relatively smaller prey, but they will for relatively larger prey. And then sort of just the, the takeaways from this recent paper is that black widows do form memories of their prey. Um, and the memories of their prey include information about both the relative size of the prey um, and where that prey was captured. And then the, the features that they store in memory, um, for whatever reason, we, we can't tell the difference between whether they're only used or only stored when prey is captured in the gum-footed line, uh, but there's this difference where, where the Black Widows 
um, basically only alter their behavior for larger prey if it was captured um, or for prey capture in a gum-footed line if it was a, a larger relative prey. So that brings me to the, the end of what I had prepared. Um, so now I'm happy to answer any questions, dig deeper into any parts of this, um, sort of, you know, let me know what, what you want to know about. Thank you. Yeah. Go ahead, Katarina. Go oh, ahead. no, no, go. Uh, I just wanted to thank you, Clint. <laughs> this was such a great talk and uh, it's so interesting to me, um, this work. So we really appreciate it. But Victoria also wanted to say something. Thanks. Um, well, there we go. Oh, wait, Abyss wants to come too. Hey, Abyss. Um, yes. Yeah, so first of all, thank you so much for, for your talk. And I, I wanted to thank you also for use of some of your terminology that you were saying that you stole the prey from the Black Widow. I found that very respectful. And also that you mentioned that the search there's when they were searching after prey was removed that it may look random but it actually isn't upon your closer observation and my question well i have so many but i'll just ask one my question is you'd mentioned that they they had different searching styles for example if the prey was larger they would search the floor and so i'm wondering if 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 you had observed this at all, because I know this, you said this was in the lab, but maybe just in your life, that if the black widows are in an area that have different prey than another area, do you do you notice different web? Do the webs look different at all? Is there is there any building strategy like in the way that? Um, uh, like hermit crabs, you know, like if there are a lot of snails, then hermit crabs tend to live in snails. And if there are a lot of tube worm shells, then hermit crabs will tend to occupy tube worm shells. So is, do you notice, have you noticed any difference like that that's determined by prey availability? So the short answer is in the field, no. And I think um, from what I've noticed, black widow webs, their their overall structure is defined more by where the web is built. Um, and in in the town where I captured these spiders, they're everywhere, but they're also in like really easy to get to public places like along sidewalks attached to retaining walls or like coming out of hedges onto the sidewalk. So most of the webs that I, I found in the wild were very similar because they they were sort of wedge shaped where they came from like a hedge or a crack in a retaining wall and extended in kind of a triangle shape over a sidewalk and the gum footed lines were anchored to the sidewalk some of them were like impressively large i did find a web inside of an old barn that was like the the area covered by a sheet and where it had gum footed lines was the size of a staircase landing um then the retreat was like up in a window sill um the longer answer is that i did actually look at that in a previous project um so we we raised spiders up from the time they hatched so we we i basically brought back females that had already made it in the wild and then had them lay egg sacs in the lab and raised up their offspring um, and we gave them these sort of feeding regimes where from the time they hatched and built their first web, we only offered them prey in the gum-footed line or in the sheet. 
um, to sort of simulate a difference in in how they're capturing prey as if they were in an area with more flying or more terrestrial prey. We only use cricket, so there was no confounding effect of like different preys. Um, but the results were, were kind of similar that they did alter their web building behavior a little bit, but only when they had captured prey consistently on the gum footed lines. Um, so basically what that means is we gave, and I guess I should mention, we did have a control sort of treatment of spiders where each time we fed them, we altered, alternated whether we gave them prey on the sheet or the gum-footed line. So they had equal numbers of feedings for both. Um, and so relative to the spiders that were fed only in the sheet and the spiders that were fed in alternating um, locations, the spiders that were only fed in the gum-footed lines produced more gum-footed lines as adults. Um, but there were no other differences in web architecture. Sorry if that's like a very confusing sentence. Um, I can explain more if you want. No, it's great. We just want the truth. Yeah. <laughs> we want your observations, not, you know, we don't want you to answer to our question. We hope that you'll answer to your knowledge and interest. And it's so sweet to recognize that they remember. And so they're responding to what you're giving them and they're altering their architecture. It's just, it's just, I hope that it, it um, inspires respect for spiders or any living thing that people don't understand mm -hmm. so that people can lose that, that um, learned reaction to scream and run instead of <laughs> pause and observe and be curious. But, you know, they're so much smaller than we are and, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah I okay. definitely. I get asked a lot about, you know, are they dangerous? Do they want to bite you? Um, and the answer is basically no. Like, if you get bitten, they are dangerous, and so maybe they deserve some amount of respect. I wouldn't say fear because they're not out to get you. Um, but it would be, you know, I do think it's it's nice to see people become interested in them. Um, partially because I, you know, I just think their biology is cool. And to me, it's cool to think about that we can use behavior to know what's going on in the mind of something so different from us as a spider. And then, you know, you can apply that sort of all the way up the gradient of, of things with cognition to look at, use behavior to understand what's going on in the mind of basically any animal. Um, and spiders are just, first of all i think a cool animal and second of all they're great for working within a lab because they're really easy to keep and they have webs that we can sort of constrain to make them do what we want to answer research questions yeah there it's i i'm so happy that you're here sharing this i had an experience that that at my house that was not uh, black widow related, but I just want to share it quickly that I had, uh, I'm an arts ed and science teacher and I had a, a group of kids who were in the outdoors and we observed something that was, it looked like a, um, a golden little flower bud mm -hmm. and we got closer to it and it, it, it separated and it was an egg sac that was being released and it was just thousands of little parachuting golden spiders and we were able to watch it and stay in this area for about an hour and see them spread and then light all over everything in it and the whole place the whole area was just covered with little 
glowing, glisteny, sparkly, golden baby spider parachutists. And if that could be everybody's first experience with a spider, how differently people might view you know, anything in the natural world. And it's as you're saying that if you recognize that a creature has cognition, then you could apply that to anything and increase curiosity, possibility for curiosity and respect. And, um, you know, eventually world peace. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for that wonderful discussion. And, um, yeah, Dr. Shah Biz Philip, welcome uh, to the stage, and please go ahead uh, if you have questions. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Kelly. That was a wonderful, I mean, presentation. My question, based upon the, I mean, feature of the ganglia and the nervous system of the spider, uh, did you find any uh, kind of transcriptomics and genomics information out of that, and also? I was just wondering to ask you about the uh, REM sleep that they are experiencing in a spider. And uh, did you have any kind of observation observation or control over the, for example, temperature or the REM sleep or those kind of things during your experience or not? Yeah, so, yeah, very interesting questions. Um, I hope my answer is not disappointing, but I basically just looked at behavior um and you know did basically nothing for looking at like the neuro anatomy or neuro function of the spiders um you know we in in my lab we try to set up studies where we look at behavior and we can control for you know alternative explanations like if we if we're thinking about like what's stored in memory we try to set up study set up experiments so that we can use behavior to uncover what's what's stored in the memories without having to rely on on looking at the neurobiology of, of the spider by controlling for and removing possible alternative explanations um and then as far as web building spiders go there's really no one that i'm aware of who's who's doing a lot on on like looking at their ganglia um there are people who've looked at at the brains of jumping spiders. Um, and I think they're interested in those more because they're considered like the smartest spiders. They have actually really good vision and they have eyes with a retina that share a lot of similarities with, with how mammal eyes work. Um, and then, you know, they're sort of famous as, as famous as spiders can be for being able to do like problem solving and, and very, what are considered like complex cognition tasks. So people are, tend to be a little more interested in looking at jumping spiders that way and less at web building spiders. Um, and then I personally don't know of anyone who's been looking at at sleep in spiders or in black widows. I do know people have been looking at it in other bugs. And even I, I read a paper a few years ago where, where people had looked at states in jellyfish that looked like sleep. Um, but other than that, that's that's not really something I have a whole lot of experience with. And if you want to compare the size of the brain of this specific spider, the size of the body, what uh, percentage? I mean, is that bigger in comparison to this other spider and how you evaluate it? Yeah, so it 
that I think it depends on on the spider. As far as other spiders, like I think the largest relative brain sizes you would find would be in jumping spiders, and they have regions of the brain dedicated to to processing information from their eyes, and those are pretty large and well developed regions. Um, but there's not really a whole lot of of information that I could find on just the general size of spider brains. Um, I think black widow brains probably fall somewhere in the size of like a couple hundred thousand neurons. And then the smallest spiders have brains that are like 10,000 neurons. Um, And if I remember correctly, jumping spiders have around 800,000. So there's a a wide range and, and black widows, I think, fall somewhere in the middle. But we really don't know yet sort of how their brain size affects their ability to, to do certain cognitive tasks. Um, I hope that answers your question at least a little bit. For sure. Thank you, Killing I'm passing to the next person. Um, um, yes, this is Philip from South Africa, and I, I just want to say um, thank you very much, Dent, for your presentation and, and also welcome to Clubhouse. Um, it, yeah, really interesting to hear your talk and you reminded me about um, you know some, some studies that was done by Charles Darwin on earthworms where um, in, in a book that he wrote on earthworms one whole chapter is devoted to whether earthworms can think and with the meticulous study and attention to detail as you yourself displayed in your in your presentation and your work um, I mean you have to agree with him as I agree with you that yes earthworms can think you know so it's just amazing and and wondrous how how, how the insect life is and I, I wanted to ask you about as um, if biodiversity decline that we are experiencing on a global level according to the recent uh, Living Planet report by WWF, wildlife populations have declined by something like 69% on average since 1970. And I want to know if insects like spiders are also similarly affected or are they more resilient? Are you aware of similar, you know, massive declines in spider populations? Um, Or are they resilient and adaptable because, I mean, they... They seem to thrive in human built-up um, environments. But thanks a lot for the presentation, and I, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, and I, I don't know specifically whether spider populations are are experiencing a similar decline to to the the declines that have been found in insects. My guess would be that they they have to be um, because insects are pretty much almost 100% of, of spider diets across the board. Like there are spiders that eat other spiders and like every once in a while there's a spider that eats something with, with a spine. Um, but given that, you know, in some areas, like there's more than, than 50% fewer insects, I can't imagine that, that spiders would not also be declining just because their, their food source is, is disappearing. Um, and there was, there was a paper three or four years ago that, that estimated the biomass that spiders eat in insects each year. 
Um, I don't remember the exact numbers, but but basically spiders eat more mass in insects than humans eat in meat. So spiders are are eating a massive amount of insects. And I just can't imagine that that if those insects disappear, the spiders are not also going to disappear. Thanks. Fascinating. Thank you very much. Abyss, uh, you want to try? Can, can you hear me now? Yeah. Yay! Yes. <laughs> yep. How awesome. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. Thanks, Scott. And, and thank you, Clint. This was a really interesting presentation. I'm always fascinated about like um, arachnids in general like how they adapt because like they are, um, I don't know. I mean, like I, I find them like instinctively fascinating. Um, and, and thanks for your presentation as well, which is very illuminating on Black Widow. So that being said, I do have a couple of questions. Um, I had a third one that I think Dr. Shah actually asked the, the similar <laughs> question. So um, kind of have like only two. The first one is that, um, do, did you notice any kind of difference or, or have you tried to do to perform an experiment whether you know black widow is actually um kind of or, or it's at least like its reaction to another black widow because like i think um spiders naturally are territorial and if there is uh, another black widow if not a mate but if another black widow is, is in the vicinity do their responses actually change? And also that extends to their natural predators. I think there are some certain kind of wasps that actually prey on black widows as well. So is there like a learned or um, instinctive behavior that actually makes them, enables them to discern whether um, they have like a prey or a predator in their, in their, uh, in their webs? Yeah. Um, so I have not done any any work looking at how black widows interact with other black widows or other spiders, um, but there are people who have. Um, <clears throat> there was work from um, Dr. Singh's lab at UC Davis, and I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the grad student's name who did the work. Um, but he looked at what happens when black widows encounter another spider invading their web. And his motivation was looking at um, sort of how black widows fare when brown widows invade their territory, um, because in parts of, of the U.S., there are invasive brown widows that came from Africa and they're displacing black widows. Um, and so he looked at, you know, he would put a female black widow on another black widow's web look at how they interacted and then do the same thing where he would place a female brown widow on a black widow's web and see how they interacted. Um, and black widows do, um, they have sort of like territorial vibrational displays where they'll, they'll pull on their web threads and they'll, they'll vibrate their bodies um, to let other spiders know that, that the web is occupied and they're not welcome. Um, and, when that happened with with other black widows, if I'm remembering correctly, um, sort of the invader would leave the web. So the the spider that had not built the web would basically almost always be be sort of scared off by the defensive territorial display of the resident of the web. 
And then the story was kind of the opposite. When a brown widow was the invader, they weren't scared away and they would either eat or just end up sort of crowding out the black widow that built the web. And so the hypothesis was that these spiders are actually able to displace black widows and sort of take over their territory. And for the second part of your question, um, there are spiders that eat black widows. So there's fulcids, um, which are, that's the, the genus name for cellar spiders or um, people call them daddy long legs. And they will invade black widow webs and eat the black widow. And I noticed, I'm, I'm sort of guesstimating probably like five to 10% of black widow webs that I, I found when I was capturing spiders to bring to the lab um, were, had no black widow, but had a fulcid on them. So I'm guessing that, that those black widows had been eaten by the fulcids. Um, so I guess the, the sort of answer to both of your questions is yes, black widows do try to scare off invaders, um, but it doesn't always work. Yeah, that is a pretty interesting. Um, I didn't know Danny don't at long legs that were actually natural predators to black widows. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my second question is that um, I think I don't exactly remember the research or where the, the paper was actually published, but somehow the satiation state of a spider actually dictates the their uh, behavioral response. And by that, by that I mean like, um, usually during mating, for example, if the spider actually uh, has eaten or consumed before, there's some certain probability that it may not devour its mate. So I'm just wondering, like, if if um, if you actually investigated the sort of like the feeding habit or their ability to to kind of discriminate between different kinds of potential preys uh, is actually influenced by their um, state of satiation. Um, no, I didn't. And I, I think I'm vaguely aware of, of the research you're mentioning, but I, I don't know who's looked at it. There is work, um, from Todd Blackledge's lab and I forget where he is, but he does a lot with black widows, or at least he used to. Um, and they looked at how differences in satiation result in differences in web architecture. Um, and what they found is, is that black widows that are satiated will actually alter the web architecture to be more functional for defense than for foraging. So when they fed black widows a lot, they ended up producing relatively fewer gum-footed lines, and then they put more silk into the sheet, um, into the tangle that sort of protects them from approaching predators. Um, now black widows, they, and I think probably most web building spiders, as far as discriminating like prey from, I guess the first the first short answer is I don't know if they can discriminate different types of prey um, by the vibration. I actually wanted to test if they could sort of tell like things that were good food um, apart from things that were not good food based on vibration, like where we plan to like artificially vibrate the web using different patterns and either give them a piece of prey associated with that vibration or use a different vibration and give them something that's not prey. Um, but there I found that like testing, trying to find things that the black widows wouldn't treat like prey was basically impossible. Um, for example, I, I shook a paperclip in the web as if it was a prey and the black widow went through all the stages of, of prey capture 
up until the point where it tried to like bite and paralyze the the paperclip. Um, so as far as that goes, I don't know if they can discriminate different prey vibrations and tell what they're about to capture. Um, but for mating and for for communicating between black widows, they do have different vibrations. Um, and male black widows and male basically males of pretty much any web building spider will approach the web of a female and right at the edge of the web, they'll start doing their species specific mating vibrations. So they use their legs and their abdomen to generate vibrations that the female should recognize as coming from a male black widow. Um, and then if the female is receptive and has not mated yet and is ready to mate, um, she will then vibrate back to the male to sort of signal that she's approaching. Um, and then the male will very cautiously sort of continue vibrating and, and approach the female and try to initiate a mating. Um, and then it's not from vibrations. It's from sensing um, chemicals that the female is, is putting off. But male black widows can tell whether a female black widow has mated or not. And they'll actually avoid the webs of females that have mated because those females are more likely to eat the male. Um, black widows will mate multiple times, but for the most part, females will mate once. And then they'll just treat anything else that comes to their web as prey. Gotcha. Thanks for that. Um, I guess my last question was related to neurobiology, but uh, you're doing behavioral experiments. Um, I was going to ask if there was like a, a grid cell correlate. So these are cells that encode position in, in mammalian brain, um, and they're mostly um, they're mostly actually like hippocampal neurons in the um, in the and like um, pyramidal neurons in the hippocampus in the dentate gyrus. But but yeah, so just wanted to ask if there is like a neurobiological correlate to grid cells that enables them to um, you know, position themselves in, in their environment. But yeah, yeah thanks so thank you for that. I would love to have an answer to that. Um, and so what I'm about to say is totally speculation. Um, but I think probably, um, and then I didn't talk about it really at all, but one of my other papers for my PhD was we looked at sort of how black widows navigate their web. Um, and we found that they use path integration to navigate. So they're, they're remembering as they move around the web, their cumulative distance and direction from where they are on the web back to their retreat. Um, so basically no matter where they are on the web, they're able to just take a direct line back to the retreat, um, which indicates that they're storing this path integration vector. Um, <clears throat> that doesn't tell us, you know, what we want to know about whether or not they have grid cells, but basically anytime there's a new paper that comes out on, um, on sort of the neurobiology of bugs, the story is that it's way more similar to mammals than we, than we realized. Um, and I've sort of gotten, you know, from Victoria, and then I think it was from Philip, sort of these, these ideas about um, not separating humans from from other animals as far as thinking about them as like being able to think or not um and i think sorry i'm i'm trying to pull up something on my computer that you won't be able to see but i'm trying to remind myself because um there was actually a a fairly recent paper um 
and I don't want to say anything wrong about it, but if I'm remembering correctly, um, they looked at the neurobiology of bees, and there are things similar to to place cells. So not in spiders, but in in insects, and sort of like as far as we know, and, and like you know, as much as you can tell about the parts of brain function that matter for cognition like having hierarchical processing and things that are divided up by senses and by, by body locations. Bugs do all of that, but we don't know a whole lot about it because it, it's only been in the most recent like decade maybe that people really looked into it. Um, but there's a lot of work um, from a few labs on bumblebee and honeybee brains that show that when you look at, at how their brains are processing information, it's surprisingly similar to how mammal brains process information. Um, and then there's all these these behavioral results showing that like bumblebees can can do problem solving. Bumblebees can have cultural transmission of things they've learned. Um, so all these behavioral evidence that like they can do pretty surprising things cognitively um, and their cognitive abilities are like, obviously they're not going to be able to think like a human, but their cognitive abilities are, are much greater than, than had been thought sort of historically. Gotcha. Thank you for answering my questions. I'm passing the mic to the next person. Yeah, thank you so much um, for this amazing discussion. And I don't know if you have time for like a question or two for me. If not, it's fine. Yeah, um, I, have, I have time. I Go ahead. Okay, cool. So two things that came out fairly recently that were kind of uh, related to your talk. Um, so there was, a, well, this is not recent. There was this paper where they found that um, during um, the transformation from like a caterpillar to a butterfly, that memories can be carried through that which is kind of really impressive. Um, you know, um, it was kind of um, a threat type of memory. That was always something I wanted to do with my kids for, the, for, mm -hmm. science, for science fair, but a lady came and did this and published it. Uh, my kids were just too young to... Um, I found they kind of dissolve into a goo and um so the so the question is do you is there anything that kind of um in the development or is there any developmental work related to the neural system of spiders like how the development works and kind of um which behaviors are kind of more are there behaviors that are learned versus just intrinsic or is there any also threat type of um, memory uh, approach that people did with spiders to kind of show that, you know, how it works and how the neuroscience. Thank you. So I, not, not exactly. And it's especially not, looking at whether memories are sort of carried over through through different developmental phases like they appear to be from 
caterpillar to to butterfly. But there is an idea of extended cognition, um, and it's not something I'm extremely familiar with. Um, but it's it's basically thinking about cognition that's being done outside of the brain. Um, so there's ideas that maybe spiders are doing extended cognition where they're they're sort of offloading cognitive processes to their legs and to their webs. Um, and some of the evidence for this is is people have changed sort of the fine scale characteristics of webs um, and black widows then sort of behave and react differently. Um, so like the main the main thing that people have done is is for orb weaving spiders that have these two dimensional disc shaped webs, um, they they basically wait for prey and for the most part their webs are not quite symmetrical. Um, so the the spider will sit either above the center point of the web or below it. Um, I think most spiders sit above the center point. Um, because they're basically it's it's more efficient for them to capture prey below because they can use gravity to assist them in getting down to the prey um so when you look at a web they're they're not quite a, a circle they're more of an oval and you can see the part where the spider sits which is called the hub is usually displaced above the midline of the web and the in these webs there's differences in tension on the the silk strands that run radially so extending out from the hub um, and the strands that run from the spiders sort of through the center of the area where they intend to capture prey are under the highest tension and spiders sit at the hub facing like basically with their legs um, touching those lines waiting to, to pick up vibrations to them what some researchers have found is that if you put a if you make a spider build a web in a frame that you can change the dimensions of, and you basically pull on one single radial line to change the tension. So it's the highest tension line in the web. The spider will actually adjust. So instead of like facing down, it'll face wherever that line is. Um, so that people are thinking that that is sort of evidence that the spiders might be offloading some of their neural processing, like about, you know, their relation to the environment on, their relationship like to where they're looking and where they're sitting to their web um and so you can change that by changing the web which is they're interpreting as evidence that the web is is doing some cognition for the spider um rather than all the cognition happening in the brain so not quite you know the same as, as memories stored across developmental stages but it's pretty interesting to, to think about the webs of spiders not just being like prey capture and defensive structures, but they might actually be cognitive structures as well that the, the spider uses to um, like not just gather information about the environment, but almost to interpret it at the same time. That is so fascinating. Um, so they are kind of using an algorithm, a computer. <laughs> very simple form our spiders are only ones that do this is do could you interpret as kind of a writing and so and all the spiders use the same kind of codes for that is that true like you know if one spider 
stores some sort of memory in their web, others can read it easily. Or is it maybe a spider from uh, one state, let's say, um, the same species, can they still uh, decode it? Um, I think probably. So there is also work um, that was done by someone else who, like, you know, similar to me, they, they moved on from doing Black Widow stuff for practical reasons. Um, but he did work during his, his PhD and postdoc where he looked at what happens when you transplant spiders from one web to another using black widows. Um, black widows also have like what biologists consider personality or like consistent behavioral traits. Um, and the personalities of spiders are usually class like uh, black widows are classified as either bold or shy and bold spiders are more likely to attack prey and and use their web for foraging and shy spiders it's much harder to get them to attack prey so you can give them prey and just the, the likelihood that they 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 go and try to wrap it up for any one prey capture event is lower than for a bold spider um, and then bold spiders also build more gum footed lines even when you control for other things like like satiation um, so there's these weird personalities where spiders both have the behavior of being aggressive and they build webs that are, are and they're more likely to forage and they also build webs that are structured more for foraging. When you swap a bold spider onto a shy spider web and vice versa, they don't remake the web to fit their personality. They sort of remake their personality to fit the web. So a bold spider on a shy web becomes shy and a shy spider on a bold web becomes bold. Um, but it's not just like that, you know, a bold spider isn't going to make a shy web because you make it tear its web down. They also looked at, at whether there's consistency within individuals in, in how they build webs. And like a bold spider is going to build a bold web. But for whatever reason, when you put a bold spider on a shy web, it acts shy. Um, so there is some amount of this potential extended cognition that can alter the spider's behavior. Um, even if it's, you know, sort of the product of a different spider. Wow, that's so fascinating. <laughs> that is so cool. I'm learning so much. Thank you for for this. And that's so interesting. Um, the, the other question is regarding the vibrations, like, and how they communicate with each other. Is there, or did anyone try to influence I read today a news article that a group managed um, for humans to um, make a device uh, through tactile vibration to um, communicate music basically to people. Like the 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 this vibration t um, uh, ex eliciting devices are on the around the, um, the the arms, I think. And then um, they kind of found a way to do that, um, to map out basically music vibrations and then uh, put it on the pulse basically of people. And um, 
is other tools like that and that people kind of try to manipulate or change behaviors or would it need to be like a combination of spider web combined with vibration type of thing is that the most important two cues or um what do you yeah what do you think yeah i i think probably off the top of my head i i don't know the answer to that i don't know of anyone who's who's trying to like there are people studying um like the mating behaviors of, of web building spiders so they're looking at the specific signals that males use um to let females know that they're another spider that wants to mate and not a prey item um i don't know if there's anyone trying to sort of alter vibrations to change spider behavior um but if you let me get a little bit like a tiny bit off topic there is work in a jumping spider called Portia. The genus is Portia. Um, and these are spiders that eat other spiders. Um, so these are jumping spiders that eat web building spiders. And these jumping spiders will actually pretend to be the males of the spider species that they're trying to eat. Um, and they'll do exactly what you're talking about. They will try out different vibration patterns when they get to the web of a female spider until they land on one that the female interprets as being a male um, and and then comes and approaches the, the Porsche and gets eaten. Um, and then the, the cool thing is that, you know, it doesn't make a difference for the spider that got eaten, but the Porsche, th they will learn which, which vibration patterns work. And that'll be the first pattern they try when they find a next female spider sitting on a web. And then of course, if it doesn't work, they'll, they'll run through, you know, I don't, I don't know how they decide which vibration patterns to try. Um, or, you know, if it's in an, like a, an inherited thing, or if it's learned, which, which ones to try, but they'll run through those again until they get to one that works. Yeah. That's interesting that you said that because I was, I was about to ask, um, are the more shy spiders more, you know, um, convincing and um, mating or as are the bolder ones because there's this interesting thing about cicades I think in India there's a type of cicade that um, they kind of cheat the system by creating kind of a cone out of leaves so that their voices enhance so usually nobody would ever choose them because they have kind of a weak voice but then mm -hmm they turn this in, you know, by this effect, uh, they turn their voice louder and then mate more. So yeah, that, that would have been my next question. <laughs> like which type of spiders mate better and, and, and are they are cheating systems <laughs> basically, but yeah, it's so interesting. And probably it's a field that still has a lot, um, to discover. Is there funding, um, that goes into the field or is do you think right now people focus more on other type of research and the funding um agencies or is there still a lot you know available to do this um you know i i haven't tried to apply for funding in a few years now um because i've you know i've been done doing my experiments and, and was working on analyzing and writing them up for a while um, I, the sense I got is that there is funding. It's not 
you know, it's it's usually in fairly small amounts. It's it's the type of grant that's available to a grad student from like a you know a society with within within our our field. Um, but there is money. It's just there can be like the 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 funding agencies are sort of looking for for proposals that are are first of all asking questions that aren't too controversial and also making sure that that the the work is going to be able to get done um um so yes and no and i think it it depends a lot on on sort of how well the question aligns with with what's currently known um like the the stuff i i did to try to to figure out if Black Widows use path integration or not is related to another project that I still haven't managed to publish, but I'm working on it. Um, but I don't want to get too into it. But for that one, I tried submitting grants to the same the same societies um, and was not able to get funding. Um, and some of, of the comments were a little disheartening because they were along the lines of like, why would you want to ask this question? Um, but then when I went and and applied for funding to do the work where I looked at whether or not they the spiders changed their web architecture in response to prey capture location. Like that one got funded on, on the first try and the, the reviewer responses were very positive. So it, it it really I think is dependent on on the question you're asking. Probably the first one too was like I could have written it better because it was my first time applying for a grant to to get the one that was rejected. Um so I'm sure that had something to do with it, but part of it is is you know there's there's money available to answer certain questions, but a lot of times funding agencies are making sure that it sort of aligns with what's what's already known. And if you try to go too far out of those bounds, then it's harder to get money. Yeah, I see. Yeah, it's what's mostly <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, thank you for giving us this insight, and um, um, let me see if. There are any more questions um, in the chat, but it's mostly comments how great the room is. So, yeah, thank you so much for this uh, amazing presentation and for the discussion. I really learned a lot. And yeah, Victoria, Dr. Shah, did you want to say some last comments? I did want to say thank you again. And I, I've I've located a, something, I put it in the room chat from 2017, and it said that the amount of consumed biomass by spiders annually is uh, between four and 800 million more than the weight of all adults. So mm. <laughs> I don't know if, that, if that's held true, but um, yeah, thank you so much. This was fascinating and, and your perspective is so, so necessary. And I do hope that you get funding for that. And if there's anything that we can do to help with your grant writing, not that we're all experts, but Katarina, Dr. Shaw, perhaps you are, um, please don't hesitate to contact us. We're so interested. No, I, I appreciate it. That work is actually done. Now it's just a matter of of publishing it. It's written and, and submitting it is the top of my to-do list, but that's, you know, after like everything to do for my day job now. Um, that you know i was able to do that because we it didn't require much money um like all the money basically was for collecting black widows and the good thing is they survived quite a while in the lab so you know i got funding for the one project and then i was able to reuse the, the those spiders for 
other projects later. Um, but I, I appreciate the offer. And again, thank thank all of you for for having me. Um, I think I'll be back. This seems like a it's my first time here, but I really enjoyed it. And you all ask great questions. So um, I'll come back for future discussions. That's great news. Also, you were talking a lot about web building spiders. Mm-hmm. And I kept I kept thinking about, you know, like a little group of spiders sitting around a table and they're gaming and they're web building and they're oh. anyway. <laughs> maybe that's some, something for a future grant. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Shah. I want to say thank you to Queen Katerina Victoria. That was a wonderful room. And hopefully we're going to see Queen in the future here in this room. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I've This has been great. Thank you again for having me. Um, and I, I look forward. I've already looked at the schedule once I, you know, after I signed up for Clubhouse, I took a look and it looks like you have some really interesting talks coming up. And there's definitely a couple I saw from the past that I am going to listen to. Um, and I'm a little bummed that I missed. Um, but now that I know about it, I, I won't miss any future good talks or maybe not even any at all. Oh, wow. That's so amazing. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you so much. It, this was really a wonderful discussion. I enjoyed it so much because I learned so much that I didn't know before. And um, yeah, thank you so much. We are looking forward to having you back again. Uh, that's um, hopefully you, per- yeah, you know, always come. You're always welcome back. <laughs> and, um, and, you're leading to the <laughs> to the announcements that we usually do. Um, so uh, we will have tomorrow room um, with Dr. Ounce. She will uh, actually um, she is still um, getting her PhD with uh, she has a master's in physics and she identified two ultra cool metal polluted white dwarfs. Um, and she will joining us from England. So this will be a really interesting talk. I'm really looking forward to her talk and she's also really nice. And then on Wednesday we'll have Dr. Feldman and he has been working for a long time on effects on meditation and so on um, and how they influence behavior, emotions. So he will talk about breathing patterns and how they influence emotion. And Dr. Cohen will talk about autonomous micro-robots with little artificial brains and how I managed to do that. And um, and then on Friday, we'll have um, another archaeology rooms. Lately, we have on Friday archaeology rooms for some reason. Um, ancient cave art discovery with 3D photogrammetry, uh, which um, he will talk about. Um, the technology development and then also about the discovery so yeah thank you everyone for coming uh i hopefully hear you all back soon and thank you so much clint this was so much fun and uh, so interesting we really appreciate it thank you yeah thank you bye everyone bye i'll close the room in three two one bye everyone